Romans 5 and 6 for when we were still without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for a good man somewhat even dear to die but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us now I don't have this on the screen and this is my fault because I prepared the slides but I want to read beyond verse 8 look at verse 9 much more then having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life and not only that but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and death, death spread to all men because all have sinned set your hands in my direction would you pray for me I want to really be led of the Lord and that I want to honor your time pray for me and I will for you Jesus this is the third service and I need another anointing every service oh God has its importance and priorities and I ask for unction pray pray in Jesus name I ask for strength for energy and for power with God and through God and I ask for the same for everybody God I pray that no one would be distracted unnecessarily or while their body may be sitting in a pew their mind may be someplace else bring all of our thoughts our imaginations into captivity to conform to the will of God and may we eat the bread of life and may we drink the living water and may it nourish us unto righteousness in Jesus name amen and amen and you may be seated thank you so much I want to make a statement and perhaps it could be addressed in the form of a question the statement would be why Christianity has a cross here we are on the week of passion this Sunday known as Palm Sunday gives us occasion to look at maybe some things we already know or maybe to learn some things that we haven't learned I, I think about world religions and the uh, prominent world religions for example Judaism and there is a star the star of David that's the symbol of their religion isn't that right the star of David for Islam another world religion and we are told by those who keep the numbers that Islam is probably the fastest growing religion in the world their symbol of their religion is the crescent moon you've seen it haven't you the crescent moon and then there is the religion of Buddhism and if you know about their symbol it is that of a lotus l-o-t-u-s a lotus blossom these symbols of the other so-called world religions suggest things like charm and attractiveness light radiance yet the universally known visible symbol for Christianity is an instrument of death wouldn't that strike you strange to think on it it does me many of us know our history we know enough of it to know that the Romans for many many years and especially the time of Christ the Romans put thousands and thousands of people to death on crosses 
We know that Jesus of Nazareth was, of course, one of those victims of the Roman crucifixion. But memorializing Jesus and representing the movement he founded under the symbol of a cross is strange, to say the least. Listen to this. Unless there's a good reason for choosing that symbol of the cross, putting it in front of a building or around one's neck, on a chain makes no more sense than engraving a guillotine, a hangman's noose, or an electric chair on your business card, or on a grave marker. But yet we put crosses in all these places. Why then does Christianity have a cross? I might inform you that long before the cross became the symbol of Christianity, there was another symbol. It was a symbol of the sign of a fish. Because as you would recall, during the time of Jesus' ministry, but especially after, Christianity was persecuted. And especially after his ascension and the day of Pentecost, and, and the more the, the Jewish leaders and thought, they thought, well, you know, we thought we had Jesus taken care of in the tomb, and we thought he had taken care of after this resurrection thing. The more the persecutors of Christianity did what they could to stamp it out, the more it spread. Can I get an Amen. And because it was an illegal religion back then, they had a sort of an underground uh, signature or symbol of a fish that represent that they were believers. But we're told from the second century forward, Christians drew, engraved, and painted the cross as the universal symbol of their faith. Not a crucifix. The crucifix was not the symbol of their faith. You know a crucifix, of course, is a cross to which a figure of Christ is attached. But the Christians didn't use the crucifix, they used the cross because they did not see their Savior perpetually nailed to the cross. They knew that both his cross and his tomb were empty and abandoned. Go ahead and give him praise. So the empty cross signified death to believers, but it simultaneously signified the hope of death conquered because of Easter Sunday. But then we're still left with a question, aren't we? Why does Christianity have a cross? Why has this visual image retained or remained central to the identity of Jesus' followers? Why preserve the memory of so awful an event as the crucifixion? Why remind ourselves that all we are is focused on the death of Jesus of Nazareth? Well, there are answers to that. And the answers help us to understand better what Jesus did and why he did it and who we are and what we've gotten. The first of four responses is this. Christianity has a cross to remind us how awful sin is. Yes. On June 19, 1995, June 19, no pardon me, April 19, 1995, a man by the name of Timothy McVeigh packed a truck that he converted into a bomb in front of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City. And at a predetermined time, he ignited the truck and many, many pounds, maybe tons of explosives that caused the explosion that took 168 lives of innocent men, women, and children. In the sentencing phase of McVeigh's trial, 
Some of the family members of the victims were allowed to speak directly to the jury to express to the jury the loss and the anguish they now suffer as a result of this madman's evil sense of vengeance against the federal government. One woman who spoke told of the fact that she felt rather guilty going home that night after visiting the site of the bombing. Her name is Sharon Coyne. She said that her only daughter by the name of J.C. Ray remained trapped in the daycare center that was now the bombed building. The mother says that she had been there for 12 hours hoping for some sign that her daughter was safe. 12 hours, she said, by now her daughter would be in dirty diaper. She wouldn't have a bottle. And she didn't have me, meaning mommy, to hold her. And she was afraid. Sharon Coyne told the jury, I could picture my little girl just saying, Mama! And I felt so guilty leaving this place. Seven days later, rescuers found a 14-month-old girl dead. I got to hold her wrapped in a beautiful receiving blanket made by my friend Joyce, she told the jury. And that's the last thing that I held. I believe that listening to Sharon Coyne's heartache can give us a little bit of an idea of how awful sin is. There was another man that day at the sentencing of Timothy McVeigh who told his story of pain. 26-year-old Carrie Lenz, L-E-N-Z, her husband told the jurors that he and his wife learned the day before the bombing that the child they were expecting was a boy. They gave their son a name and the next morning the mother-to-be left for work at the Drug Enforcement Association Administration Office anxious to show her co-workers the ultrasound pictures and tell them the name of their baby boy. According to Mr. Lenz testifying before the jury, he says, we were ready to raise a child. Things were going our way finally. And in one fell swoop, I went from being a husband and a daddy to realizing everything I've worked for was gone. There was nobody coming home, not my wife and not my baby. There was nobody going to be in the driveway. Mr. Lenz says, the days grew darker after their death. How many know sin does that? Even to the innocent victims, sin will cause the days to grow darker. He said, I started drinking too much. He said, on one occasion, I took a gun, a loaded gun, and put it in my mouth to end my life. But for some reason, I put it down and changed my mind. He ended his statement to the jury by saying, there is nothing, nothing more dangerous than a man who has no reason to live. He says, I've been there. And that gives us an idea of how awful sin really is. Amen, church? A couple, three years ago, my wife and I, while having our first opportunity and only opportunity to visit Europe, had the occasion to visit the city of Nuremberg, Germany. And most of you, by me saying Nuremberg, know exactly where I'm going with this thought. You know that after World War II and the terrible atrocities of Hitler and his regime, you know that Nuremberg, Germany, from 1945 to 1946 became the trial city for those who were accused of and eventually found guilty of war crimes. 
And, and you know that some of those being tried work hand in hand with Hitler in doing all they could to annihilate as many Jewish people as possible. So that during Hitler's march and wild rampage over Europe, he incinerated by fire and gas, by way of poisonous gas, over six million Jews. Unfortunately, Hitler was not there for trial because he ended his own life before he could be brought to trial. And there my wife and I and others who were taking the tour that day in Nuremberg, in the city of Nuremberg uh, in 2006, you could feel the atmosphere because there were pictures and there were lights and there were photographs of what took place. And you could go across the city a little ways and you could go to one of the amphitheaters where Hitler com uh, conducted much of his propaganda speeches and, and got the people all excited about the wrong thing. And, and you look at the pictures and you take the tour and you think to yourself, how could one human being be so hostile and so mean and nasty and cruel? And yet that's a picture of what sin left on its own can do. There's more. There's more because four or five weeks ago while preaching in this pulpit at a church here in the United States, a preacher was confronted with a man with a loaded gun who shot his gun and the bullet went through the Bible of the preacher until those looking on thought it was confetti being spread around. It pierced through the Bible, went into his chest and took his life in this country called America where the safest place or one of the safest place should be a church. Are you with me? As if you have forgotten, I don't think you have. You remember about four weeks ago, in about two or three rural cities of Alabama, a man went on a sort of a crazed killing and took ten lives, innocent women and children. That's a picture of how awful sin is. As if you have forgotten, I don't think you have. Two Sundays ago, in North Carolina, in a nursing home, eight people. Now, let me tell you, I don't believe that there are many more helpless victims than people who are confined to their beds or who are paralyzed by sickness and can't run. Eight of them were killed. If sin is not horrible enough, then only three days ago, right here in these United States, in Binghamton, New York, a crazy man went into the American Civic Center where people were trying their best to earn the right to become American citizens and learn the language. He takes a gun and takes 13 lives on his own. I'm telling you, you don't need for me to be your CNN, ABC, or NBC for you to understand that sin is among us and it is is devastating and so we have a cross because the Bible says in Romans 6 and 23 the wages of sin is death help me hear somebody I want to tell you something all of us are subject to temptation can I get an amen I wish that after we were born again none of us would have to be tempted but it seemed like after we are born again by the blood of Jesus Christ Satan gives us about six or eight weeks of a free time and then he comes knocking back at our door to drag us back into his hell but here's what the Bible says about temptation in first Corinthians they had no temptation taken you but such as is common to man Temptation is common to everybody. But God is faithful that when you are tempted, He will make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. I want to tell you, every time you and I are tempted, God is going to make a back door or a front door or a side door. If we listen to the Holy Ghost, we don't have to become the victim of sin. This is what James says in his writing in 1 James chapter 1 verse 15. Then when desire has conceived, meaning the desire to do the wrong thing, 
When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And Jesus came and died on the cross, not because he wanted us to have a Hollywood movie, but because sin is damning. There's a second response. Christianity has a cross because it shows us how great God's love really is. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You see, some people have the mistaken idea that the crucifixion of Jesus was the unfortunate ending to a once promising career of a Jewish young adult. Some people have the mistaken idea that the crucifixion of Jesus was a great miscarriage of justice. They didn't realize he was innocent, so they killed him. Then there are others who have the idea that the crucifixion of Jesus was a grand instance of martyrdom for the sake of one's conviction. So like what uh, these Islamic extremist terrorists will do, will strap their strap a bomb to their body and go among innocent people because they are promised by their religion that if you die in a martyrdom's death your reward in the afterlife will be better than the average all concocted in error and untruths and Jesus didn't die on the cross because you and I would need a hero Jesus is Death on Calvary was not something that took him by surprise or even God. Matter of fact, it was the most prepared for and well-announced event in history. Jesus, write it down remember it, Jesus came to planet earth to die on Calvary. He came knowing what was ahead of him. And he came anyhow. Because the only way to counter the awfulness of sin would be by the infinite love of the Savior. Hallelujah. And so, when we are told that maybe Jesus was caught off guard about this crucifixion thing, that is not accurate. Matter of fact, I like what Max Lucado says, and most of you know him to be a very prolific and gifted Christian writer. And in one of his books entitled, And the Angels Were Silent, he speaks about the deliberateness, the premeditatedness of Jesus' journey to the cross. This is what he says. Forget any suggestion that Jesus was trapped, so he died. He couldn't figure his way out, and so he died. No, he said, that's not the case. Erase any theory that Jesus made a miscalculation on Good Friday, thinking, oops, I should have been in Philippi, and I ended up in Jerusalem. Now I'm going to get killed. No, that's not even true. He goes on and says, ignore any speculation that the cross was a last-ditch attempt to salvage a dying mission. He says, for if these words tell us anything, the words that tell us that Jesus had fixed his head like a flint, meaning that his purpose was fixed as hard as flint headed to Jerusalem. 
If these, if these words tell us anything, they tell us that Jesus died on purpose, church. There were no surprises, no hesitation, no faltering. No. The journey to Jerusalem didn't begin in Jericho. The journey to Jerusalem did not begin on Palm Sunday. The journey to Jerusalem did not begin in Galilee. It did not even begin in Bethlehem as a baby in a manger 33 and a half years before he was crucified. Matter of fact, the journey to the cross began long before that. As the echo of the crunching of the fruit was still sounding in the Garden of Eden. Get this. As the echo of the crunching of the fruit that God told Adam and Eve not to eat of because in the day they eat of it they will die. Before the fruit got into their stomach, God sent his son Jesus on the road to Calvary because God knew that we would need a savior. Somebody put your hands together and praise him. Give me a little more monitor yeah so so I'm suggesting to you I'm suggesting to you that our text says next slide please for while we were still without Christ in due strength without God in due time Christ died for the ungodly here's the human dilemma the human dilemma and, and it's not gonna be on the screen but I want you to get it is number one we were without strength when we came into this world, yes, as babies, we were without strength to help ourselves. But even as we grow into adulthood, we are still without strength to save ourselves. Somebody hear me this morning. Because, because of the very fact, number two, is that we, we were ungodly. This is what the Bible says. Verse 1, for when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's every one of us. I like the cute, chubby beautiful little babies when they're born they come out of the delivery room and they get cleaned up and sprayed up and wiped down and if they got any little hair up there mamas no sooner than they get them home they tie something to that little head it's beautiful oh my mama cute little cuddly googly makes us adult men talk like you know about six months later coming out from the hospital with mama we're thinking how come he's acting like his daddy because the Bible says we were all born in sin. There's a reason why you call your kids at age two the terrible twos. You don't have to teach them to pinch their brother or sister if they get mad. You don't have to teach them if they want their favorite toy and somebody else has got it that they can go buy them until they get it. Huh? All of us are embarrassed when our children will do that. But, but the Bible says that we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. You can dress up all you want to when you get in adulthood. You can look like little Lord Fauntleroy. You can comb your hair if you have any. You can put on your teeth or buy somebody else's and put it on. You, you can dress up in nice clothes. You can wear Calvin Klein's perfume. But I want to tell you something. Unless you have one day confessed that you are born in sin and confessed that you need a Savior, and been washed in the blood of the Lamb no way of how you dress or smell or look can save you we were sinners so not only were we sinners without strength but the Bible says in verse 10 look, look in your scriptures Romans 5 verse 10 for when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life we were enemies with God Help me preach here, somebody. Yeah. Oh, I know you may know Bible stories from a, from a child. I 
and you may know how to tell the stories and you may sing Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so but if you've never confessed your sins if you've never repented through godly sorrow and asked Jesus to come in your heart you are an enemy of God yeah we only have two choices in this life in most cases and for this particular message we have either God or Satan we are servant to either one okay it can't be servant to both one or the other okay so here's here's the fact of the matter you may look nice you may behave nice and somebody do, do a background check on you in the police department they may not find a blemish on your name because you are so spotless but listen to me when I tell you that if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ and born again by his blood you are an enemy of God by your own choice so Jesus comes he comes because he wants to demonstrate his great love to us you've heard back up the slide if you will he you heard about the judge didn't you and if you haven't maybe you will now the judge whose own son comes before his bench and he's charged with drunken driving the judge's son and because the judge was sworn to uphold justice he renders a judgment to his son regarding his son's guilt and he finds his son guilty of breaking the law of drunken driving because he's sworn to uphold justice he imposes the heaviest fine allowed under the law then the judge immediately disrobes as he walks down from the judge's bench comes down to the floor level of where the prosecutor and his son stands disrobes himself reaches into his back pocket pulls out the financial find rendered because he knows his son like most of us know our children ain't got a dime to his name <laughs> the boy is guilty this is the fine and he can't pay it but I will pay it for him I give you that analogy because I want to give you another analogy some time ago long before you and I were ever born Satan knew we were coming and he afflicted our predecessors this thing called sin because of their own choices and on this great court in the heavens God was seating seated on his throne on the bench and God had surrounding him angels and cherubims and cherubims and heavenly powers as he sat on his bench of his jurisdiction Satan drug us up and our predecessors said here's Alan here's Jeff here's Charles here's Roger I don't want to choose a woman because I don't want to make him look bad so I'll stick with the guys <laughs> drug us before God Satan the prosecuting attorney this this these men these humans you made they will curse your name they will crucify your son they will mock you
They will take the symbols of religion and defile it. They will stomp on the word of God and blaspheme you. They will, they will yell one day in favor of your son. Hosanna! Hosanna! Which means in the Aramaic, save us! Save us! And then before the week is out, the same crowd will yell, kill him. Crucify him. Crucify him. God's sitting up on his throne and he's the judge of all. And he says, because I see everything and I know ahead of time, I know you're telling the truth. And the fact of the matter is, because God is just and he can't turn his head against sin because he is righteous, his pronouncement for Alan and Jeff and Charles and Roger was yes Mr. Prosecuting Attorney Devil they are guilty and the penalty is death but oh God wasn't finished I said God wasn't finished he told his boy sitting beside him Jesus his boy said daddy I know they deserve to die and I know the prosecuting attorney, the devil, is telling the truth. But daddy, I'm going to take off my royal robe. Come over here, cherubim and seraphim. I'm going to take off my crown, daddy. And I'm going to leave it here with this cherubim. I'm going to take my royal diadem, my scepter, and hand it off to somebody else. And daddy, I'm going to go down there among them. I'm going to become one of them and just like them. And I'm going to stand face to face with the prosecuting attorney, Satan. Oh, somebody help me here. And say, devil, you're right. They deserve to die. But transfer their sins onto me. I will take their place. I will die in their stead. That's what the cross means. It shows the love of God. Somebody put your hands together and praise him. Yeah, that's, that's the cross. That's the cross. Oh, Holy Ghost is helping me now. I, I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I hope to go there one day, but here's the picture I want you to see. Among and in the Grand Canyon, there are gorges and ravines and precipices that are deep to the tune of hundreds of feet from the top plateau to the bottom. Am I right? And in this thing called the Grand Canyon, there, there, there are all kinds of chasms that human construction cannot afford. I'm going to show you something. On this side is God and righteousness and purity and justice. And on this other side is sin and sinful men and women. And you and I lost and on our way to hell. And in between where we are and where God is, there's this great chasm, this great gorge, this, this, this great precipice. It's so deep and so wide and so vast that we can't span it. 2,000 years ago because of his great love Jesus came and died on the cross and the one side of the cross touched the sinners over here on this side of the gorge and the other side of the cross touched the Savior the Holy God and the cross because of the cross God would come to us and we would come to him and we'd meet at Calvary that's how good God is somebody praise the Lord for the cross yes 
The cross is God's symbol of love. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. You've heard the saying somebody took a bullet for somebody else. You've heard the saying somebody rescued a child from a busy highway and pushed the child out of the way, but they didn't get spared. They lost their life. That's great love. The Bible says greater love than this had no man than a man laid down. Laid down his life for a friend. I want to tell you, Jesus showed greater love than the love of a man laying down his life for his friend because Jesus laid down his life for his own enemies. You and I, that's love. Come on, give the Lord praise. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Holy Ghost, help me. Lift up both of your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I want to show you. I, I so, it blesses me when you register with this gift. No, he didn't come for, what's his name who made the movie, The Cross, the, the most recent, most, huh? Mel Gibson. Unfortunately, he wasn't touched by his own movie, was he? So Jesus didn't die on the cross to make Mel Gibson rich. He died on the cross to make us rich. Because the Bible says all of our righteousness, all of our righteousness on our own is like filthy rags. The Bible also says if the righteous scarcely be saved, where is the ungodly going to be found? But you and I are not scarcely saved. We're not saved by the skin of our teeth. I don't just hope to get there. My God, if I drop dead now, I'm as good as there. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Queen Victoria of yesteryear, Queen Victoria had a precious daughter whose name was Alice, Princess Alice. When Princess Alice grew into womanhood, she married her prince. To them was born a precious baby boy. And at age four, their precious baby boy, who was the apple of the eye of his mother, was diagnosed with back then what was known as black diphtheria. When Alice found out that her son had this highly contagious and very deadly disease, she was overwhelmed with anxiety. But because of her own frail health, the nurses attending her child told her, Mom, Princess, please don't get near your son. Repeatedly warned her that it's highly contagious and dead. One day as Princess Alice stood in a far corner of her son's room to weep and pray for her beloved son, she heard him whisper to the nurse. Her boy said to the nurse, Why doesn't my mother kiss me anymore? Oh my, just what you're feeling is what she felt. This princess mother couldn't stand such a thought going on in the mind of her dying child. She rushed over to her boy, grabbed him in her embrace, and smothered him with kisses. Regrettably, regrettably, those were kisses that turned to death. Because the mother contracted the awful disease and within a few days both mother and son were buried and the question then is wasn't that a foolish thing to do 
on Princess Alice's part. Didn't Prince Alice know, Princess Alice know that the disease is contagious, is deadly? What was she thinking? Did she not know she would contract it and could die? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. But who of us can describe the sacrificial love of a mother? Next slide. Here's what God did. He came to the cross in the person of his son, Jesus, to show us how involved God is in our human predicament. Didn't Jesus know? Didn't he know that he would be reviled and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? Didn't Jesus know that they would pluck his beard from his face? They would put a crown made of thorns as long as your index finger and they would plant it on his head until his own blood would blur his vision. He would even taste his own blood. Didn't Jesus know that they would so lacerate his back with a cat of nine tails and a whip that had a, more than one strap, a, 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 a cords, a more than one cords to this beating instrument and at the tip of these leather straps, at the end of it, there would be human bones or metal fragments where after you hit him on the back, you just rake it over his back. Didn't Jesus know Isaiah said his visage and his countenance would be so marred until you wouldn't even recognize him didn't he know that I submit yes 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 <laughs> why do you think the Bible says in Gethsemane when he took his disciples to pray on the night of his arrest he prayed so passionately and so fervently until his sweat became as the drops of human blood help me preach here he knew it which one of us would vote for pain uh, the older I get, the more allergic I am to pain. Didn't Jesus know it? The cross is a serious thing. Didn't he know that Alan would sin, and that Jeff would sin, and that Charles would sin, and Roger would sin? And we might do it more than once. But knowing what he knew, you've come too late to tell me that he doesn't understand my pain. He knows my predicament. Yeah, yeah, because he came right there in the muck and mire of the mess. You ever been rejected? He knows, he's been rejected. You, you, you ever was waiting for your support team to show up at your most crucial hour and they scattered like flies? He knows it. He's been there. You, you, you ever been a, a persecuted for your skin color or your religion? He was. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Anybody hearing me? No, don't tell me Jesus is some sort of a 93 million miles away from the planet Earth and some eons of, of skies and galaxies out there and he left at Calvary after the resurrection and kind of did the world like a, we would do a manual clock when we had these manual clocks and we still do, you know, you wound it up and you do it once a day and it ought to run okay for the next day and so that's what Jesus did after Calvary he just went back to the Father and just said, okay, you know, I'm going now no, 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 no and you all get about on your own no, 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 no here's the beauty of it God, uh, Matthew you said and a virgin shall give birth to a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel meaning God with us <laughs> Jesus 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 
Let me tell you. No. Don't come here telling me I was alone and Jesus wasn't there. No. No. Surely he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. I love being a pastor, but I realize my limitations every week. I love the help I have and the staff I have and the persons of Pastor Jeff and Pastor David and Pastor Zach and Pastor JC. I love the fact that I have 12 elders who are trying their best to work with me. And I love the fact that you are there to minister. But listen to this. I miss it sometimes. One week, two, or two weeks ago, one week I had the occasion on a Tuesday to do a, be a part of a funeral of a 77-year-old saint of God. The next day, I was at the bedside of a man who would go in, in surgery needing five bypasses, one of our church family. And then two days later, I did the wedding of Lincoln and Jessica.